This is Mayo Clinic Talks, a curated weekly podcast for physicians and healthcare providers. I'm your host, Daryl Chutka, a general internist at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. It's estimated that over 70 million people around the world are living with chronic hepatitis C. The CDC estimates that about 3.5 million are in the United States. Of these infected individuals, up to half a million will die from hepatitis C-related complications each year, despite the availability of very effective treatment. Unfortunately, many of these people don't know they're infected. Today, we're going to be talking about hepatitis C testing, diagnosis, and treatment with Dr. John Paduka, a hepatologist in the Division of Gastroenterology and Hepatology at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Welcome, John. Thanks, Daryl. Glad to be here. John, let's start talking about acquiring the disease. How soon will the serologic test for hepatitis C turn positive? Yeah, the, there's two tests that we typically use to assess for hepatitis C. There's an antibody, which is you know, very sensitive. The problem with the antibody test is it just indicates exposure. So patients who've had hepatitis C and get over it still have a positive antibody. The other problem with the antibody in the acute setting is that the antibody probably takes a couple of months to develop. So if you see a patient when they're first having symptoms, which might be as soon as two weeks after they become infected, the antibody test may be negative. So that allows, what we can do is to do the HCV RNA, the nucleic acid test, which is generally positive when the patient presents with symptoms. Mm -hmm. Is it known how often patients who get hepatitis C actually develop symptoms? Yeah, it is. These are tough studies to do because patients often don't present, but there are some follow-up studies that were done in the transfusion era when we know when patients were exposed to the virus. And it seems like about a third of patients will have symptoms of acute hepatitis C infection. In that third, about two-thirds of that population will include jaundice. So that tells you that there's a liver problem. But the other third have kind of nonspecific symptoms, you know, anorexia, maybe a little nausea, maybe a little fatigue. So the majority of patients with hepatitis C either have no infection or no symptoms or they have symptoms which are so nonspecific it doesn't tell you that there's a liver problem. So it can be very difficult to actually Mm -hmm. pick up some of these early patients. Yes, correct. Yeah. Well, how does one acquire hepatitis C? Is it all by blood exposure? Yeah, uh, some sort of blood exposure. So far and away, the most common risk for hepatitis C acquisition is the use of needles for illicit drugs probably accounts for two-thirds or more of cases. Sometimes patients may have done this 20 or 30 years ago. Um, They've moved on from that phase of their life. They don't want to admit that that was, you know, sort of part of their past. So they may not remember doing that or they may deny it, uh, but that's the most common risk factor for acquisition. Transfusions, especially if those were a long time ago, say before 1990, are a risk for hepatitis C infection. 
the risk of a transfusion transmitting hepatitis C infection in this day and age is really, really low. Sexual exposure does occur. Hepatitis C is transmitted inefficiently by sexual exposure, but it does happen. So, you know, that's a risk factor. And then the other risk factor is receiving health care. So you might be infected from a healthcare worker. That doesn't happen very often, but it has been reported. So those are the major risk factors for hepatitis C acquisition. Mm-hmm. Some of the reading I was doing on this gave me some interesting concepts that I didn't thought of, uh, but hepatitis C doesn't affect males and females the same. Is that correct? Well, I, I think males and females are equally likely to get hepatitis C given the same risk factor. I see. So there's a couple of exceptions to that. So one exception would be that in terms of sexual transmission, the highest risk of sexual transmission is men having sex with men. The second most likely transmission risk is a woman acquiring hepatitis C from an infected man. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are some differences. The other big difference is that women, especially if they're a little younger, who acquire hepatitis C infection are more likely to clear it than men who acquire hepatitis C infection. Okay. Can hepatitis C be spread from mother to child during pregnancy? It happens. So it's pretty unusual. So the transmission rates vary a little bit, but they're probably about 5%. The transmission seems to happen either in the late stages of pregnancy or at the time of birth. The mothers who are at highest risk for transmitting hepatitis C would be those with the highest viral loads. And one example of a hepatitis C in Infected patient who have a very high viral load is somebody that's co-infected with HIV. Some, you know, sort of things that maybe we can control. Uh, hepatitis C transmission rates from mother to child seem to be a little higher if the child requires some sort of fetal scalp monitoring. And then a woman who is in, has prolonged rupture of membranes um, also has a little higher risk of transmitting the infection to her child. Can it be transmitted by breastfeeding? Almost certainly no. Um, It's generally recommended that if a woman has, you know, sort of cracking or evidence of blood exposure around her nipples that she not breastfeed. But in general, hepatitis C is not transmitted by breastfeeding. Okay. Now, I know the answer to this next question, but I thought it was a neat question to ask anyway. Can hepatitis C be transmitted by mosquitoes? No, it's kind of interesting. So this story has evolved. Mm-hmm. Um, it, back um, when hepatitis C was first discovered, it was found that certain areas of the world, I'll use Egypt as, as an example, had pretty high rates of hepatitis C despite no other identifiable risk factors, at least at that time. So the thought was, well, mosquitoes can transmit other viruses that are similar to hepatitis C. Maybe they could also transmit hepatitis C. But what we found is that in areas like Egypt, it probably has more to do with certain vaccination practices that occurred 
that might have involved, you know, some inadvertent exposure through needles. So mm-hmm. the answer is no, mosquitoes aren't good, but they don't transmit hepatitis C. <laughs> All right. Is hepatitis C considered highly infectious? And what I'm really getting at here is, let's say a healthcare worker gets a needle stick from an infected patient. Are they likely or is there a high risk of acquiring infection from that one needle stick? Pretty low risk. Uh, depends on the inoculum, whether the needle is hollow or not. Maybe it depends a little bit on how deep the wound is. Um, probably has something to do with how high the viral level is in the, the donor, if you will. I have this rule of thumb, and I think it still works. So the risk of transmission of hepatitis C from a needle stick exposure is about 3%. varies from 1% to 7%, but I remember 3%. The risk of transmission of hepatitis B might be as high as 30%, and the risk of transmission of HIV is about 0.3%. So again, HIV 0.3%, hepatitis C 3%, hepatitis B 30%. Easy easy thing to remember. So given the fact that this is a difficult diagnosis to make at an early stage, um, who should be tested for hepatitis C? Yeah, it's probably in flux. So, so certainly anybody with, that's at high risk for hepatitis C acquisition should be tested. So illegal drug users, uh, recipients of blood products that were given before 1990 or so, um, anybody on hemodialysis. So. Uh, patients with abnormal liver tests that aren't other explained. So, so those patients should clearly be tested. About four or five years ago, it was recognized that about 75% of hepatitis C infections occur in people born between 1945 and 1965. So there's a recommendation now for patients who are born between those years to undergo one-time hepatitis C testing. Mm. Uh, recently, the U.S. Preventative Service Task Force has a recommendation, which my understanding is still in process, but they're going to recommend one-time testing for anybody between the ages of 18 and 79. And of course, the reasons for these increasingly encompassing recommendations is that hepatitis C treatment is so good Mm -hmm. compared to how it was 10 or more years ago. Yeah, and how difficult the diagnosis is to make. Yes, correct, because most patients are without symptoms. Well, we know that some patients clear this virus. Um, How often does that happen without any pharmacologic treatment? Yeah, so it probably happens a little more common than we originally thought. And again, part of it depends on whether you're a woman, if you get infected, as we discussed earlier, and, and it also might depend on your age and how sick you are when you got, get infected. So there are some studies suggesting that the overall evolution to chronic infection occurs in 60 to 85% of the patients who get hepatitis C. So that means most of the patients that get hepatitis C will remain chronically infected. However, there are some recent studies be, uh, looking at younger patients who get hepatitis C and their clearance rates may actually be as high as 50%. Mm. So again, uh, it depends a little bit on when you get infected. A lot of what we know about hepatitis C is from the transfusion-associated era. Those were high inoculum infections, ill, generally older people, so the chronic rates were much higher then. Okay. 
in a patient that we don't diagnose early, what are their potential complications that they could get? Yeah, most of it is liver disease, uh, typical complications of cirrhosis. Hepatocellular carcinoma is a big risk for patients with hepatitis C and cirrhosis. HCC rarely occurs in people without cirrhosis, but so complications of liver disease, including hepatocellular carcinoma. There are some extra hepatic manifestations, sort of the classic one that might be on board exams is the patient with hepatitis C who has cryoglobulinemia with a typical vasculitic skin rash, sometimes accompanied by renal injury, but most of it's advanced liver disease and its complications. Okay. We know there's effective treatment available. What does this consist of? So it's oral drugs generally given for 8 to 12 weeks. These drugs are very well tolerated. We were involved in some of the original studies, double-blinded studies, and just symptom-wise, you didn't know which patients were taking the drug for the most part. So they're very effective. Cure rates, eradication rates are pushing 99% for most patients. So these are, it's a real success story in Mm -hmm. medicine because as far as I understand, this is really the only viral infection that we can eradicate. You know, there are viral infections like CMV that, you know, sort of become dormant, but this is, this is one that we can eradicate. It's really a success story. Yeah. How effective is the treatment in eradicating the virus? Yeah, up, up to 99%. So there are patients that are, uh, whose eradication rates are a little lower are those patients who have advanced fibrosis or cirrhosis and those patients that are infected with genotype 3. Those patients are a little bit more stubborn, but in general, eradication rates are still more than 90%. So a patient who's been what we presume is successively treated, eradicate the virus, or those who clear the virus, are they still at risk for hepatocellular carcinoma? Do we need to worry about them? So it's an important question. So it depends on the stage of the liver disease. So if somebody had cirrhosis and has eradication of the virus, their risk of hepatocellular carcinoma diminishes, but it doesn't go away. In general, their risk for developing liver failure for the most part goes away, but their risk of cancer doesn't go away. So, So it's the patients who have cirrhosis that you need to continue to monitor with imaging every six months, even if you eradicate the virus. Can I make one more comment about eradication? The other thing about eradication, and we touched on this a little earlier, is that the antibody test will stay positive. So that patient will continue to have antibody against hepatitis C. The HCV RNA will be negative in a patient in whom the virus has been eradicated. And a patient who's either been successfully treated or cleared the virus, can they become reinfected? They can. Their risk for reinfection, given a similar exposure, seems to be a little lower. The other thing that's lower is that their risk for chronic infection. So not only are they a little less likely to get infected, they're less likely to remain chronically infected. But certainly, we've all seen patients who had kept up with their risk factors and got reinfected and had to be retreated in some cases. So these patients we're going to be treating are probably those with chronic hepatitis. What about those minority that we identify with acute hepatitis? Do we do anything for them? So generally not. Remember that 
especially in the younger patients, or those are the ones we're tending to identify with acute hepatitis C. So their risk of clearing the virus, let's just say for the sake of discussion, it's between 25 and 50 percent. That's still a high enough percentage that you want to give them a chance to clear the virus on their own. So in general, for patients with acute hepatitis C, we don't recommend treatment because the medicines are going to work, mm -hmm. but they're also very expensive. So if we don't need them, that's great. Now, there might be a couple of exceptions in whom in patients we might treat for an acute hepatitis. Those would include somebody that is just at risk for spreading the infection to someone else that's not willing to modify their behavior. So that might be a patient that you might consider treatment. And then anybody that's sick, so somebody who you know has evidence of liver synthetic dysfunction, you might be a little more likely to treat their hepatitis C than you might otherwise. But okay. in general, for acute hepatitis C, we watch them for three months. Most of the patients who are gonna clear the virus will do so within three months. How about patients who are healthcare workers, like surgeons who have had hepatitis C and have either cleared the virus or been successfully treated, can they continue to operate safely? Yeah, so I think this has changed so much with effective treatment. So clearly a healthcare worker, you know, if there's, there's not much doubt about treating hepatitis C anyway, but clearly a healthcare worker, especially somebody that performs exposure prone procedures should be treated for hepatitis C with eradication. If the virus is eradicated, they will not transmit the infection. In the unusual circumstance now where somebody can't be cleared of hepatitis C, there's no specific guidelines other than standard precautions. Their risk of transmitting the infection is very, very low, but it's probably not zero. Mm -hmm. So fortunately, we don't have to face that so much now that treatment is so effective. Are liver transplantations done frequently for patients with chronic hepatitis C? Yes, but in decreasing frequency. So the number of liver transplants for patients with hepatitis C has diminished because of effective therapy. Mm -hmm. Now, there's still some patients who don't present with hepatitis C until they have liver failure or liver cancer. Um, those patients will undergo transplantation. Sometimes we will treat their hepatitis C before transplantation. Sometimes we'll wait until after transplantation. But almost all of them will have eradication of the virus at some point. How close are we to a vaccine? So hepatitis C is tough because it mutates a lot. It's a little like HIV in that respect. I think we've got a ways to go. I also think that the fact that we can cure it with relatively safe drugs for a short course makes the requirement for vaccination a little less pressing. Mm -hmm. So maybe people aren't working on that quite as much as they were when we weren't so effective at eradicating the virus. Sure. Well, let's close by asking you to summarize the important points regarding hepatitis C. Yeah. So the great thing about hepatitis C, again, I alluded to the success story. So treatments for hepatitis C are highly effective and very safe at eradicating the virus. So the implications of hepatitis C infection aren't what they used to be. A point that we didn't talk about that's worth mentioning here in the summary is that um, the incidence of acute hepatitis C is actually increasing. It was decreasing for a number of years. Now it's increasing. It's probably related to the opiate crisis. Mm. 
So you have to look out for hepatitis C. It's estimated that we're, there were about 40,000 infections in the U.S. Um, um, in the most recent year reported, 2016. Um, and I think the other thing about hepatitis C that I tend to see is patients having antibody used for monitoring after they've eradicated hepatitis C. Remember that antibody is going to stay, neg- stay positive, no reason to check it. We've been discussing hepatitis C with Dr. John Paderuka, a hepatologist in the Division of Gastroenterology and Hepatology at the Mayo Clinic. John, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge with us. Thanks for having me, Daryl. I enjoyed it. You can now listen to over 100 different medical topics developed for primary care providers on Mayo Clinic Talks podcasts. Find them at ce.mayo.edu or your favorite podcasting app. If you've enjoyed Mayo Clinic Talks podcast, please subscribe. Stay healthy and see you next week. Music